0: You're listening to the sermon audio from The Shore Church, located in North Vancouver. For more information about The Shore, upcoming events, or to donate, you can head to www.theshorechurch.ca. You grab your bulletins now, and on the back of that, as well as on the screen, uh, we're going to read 1 John chapter 5, verses 6-12, through 12. so please would you rise with me as we read uh, the Word of God. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. And whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. And this is the testimony that God gave us, eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life, and whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. This is the Word of God. All right, you can grab a seat. As I was looking over this text, something struck me that as I was looking over, like, John packs all kinds of doctrine into this text. Like, all kinds. It is full. And if, in our study of 1st John, it almost is like he says one little line that's just full of doctrinal statements, and then he continues on. And so to slow down a little bit and just take this piece by piece, I was thinking about, like, this, this amazing miracle of Jesus coming as fully God and fully man. Like, have you ever just thought about that, meditated on that a little bit? Like, God himself came and became fully man. Like, this is is a massive, one of the biggest, if not the biggest miracles that took place in the history of this world. Like in every one, like I was, then I started thinking like the hundred plus, if not more, maybe thousands of the things that have taken place in the, in our scriptures, in the history of this world, all surround God. The, The biggest events of history are all around him, like creation, the flood, you know, fire from heaven multiple times, the tower of Babel where the languages were separated, like winning of wars without a sword or a man, the parting of the Red Sea, the rainbow, you know, like the, the, the symbol that, that the world has stolen from God himself as a, as a bow hung up, you know, hung there in, in heaven to show that God's wrath upon mankind is fulfilled through the flood. The miracles of the blind seeing, the lame walking, the deaf hearing, the resurrection, and many more, all documented in the scriptures, in our history books, in archaeological digs, and in the scars this world holds. One author said of Jesus as fully God, coming to also be fully man, said said this, "...it is by far the most amazing miracle of the entire Bible, far more amazing than the resurrection, and more amazing even than the creation of the universe." The fact that the infinite, omnipotent, eternal Son of God could become man and join himself to a human nature forever so that infinite God became one person with finite man will remain for eternity the most profound miracle and the most profound mystery in all the universe. See, in our text this morning, we are reading the importance of Jesus' coming as fully God and fully man for our eternal sake and his glory. So this morning, my outline is Jesus. That's my outline. Jesus is everything. Jesus is perfect. Jesus is who we need to follow and seek after. And if this is paramount for our salvation, if Jesus is paramount for our salvation, then, man, we need to figure out who this is. And so in that underlined outline of Jesus, we want to look and discover how he came, his testimony and life in him. And so that's what we're going to walk through, and this is what this text is pulling out for us this morning that we can glean from. So let me pray one more time and then get into this amazing text of scripture. Jesus, uh, we thank you. We thank you that you are the central point of the story. And I pray, Jesus, that we, all of us, will not miss it. That we will not just hear but that we will be doers of the word. That, uh, we, will not, will, that we will heed the warning of, of the New Testament over and over when you spoke, Jesus, and you said, man, they have ears, but they do not hear. They have eyes, that, but they do not see. Lord, I ask you and I plead with you and I urge you, please open our ears to what you have to say to us this morning. Open our eyes that we might see your beautiful gospel, the good news, that you came, that you lived, that you died, that you rose again for our namesake and your glory. And I pray, Jesus, as we discover these things in your text of scripture, please uh, empower me through your spirit, the spirit of truth, that we might uh, hear from you directly. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's look at number one, that number one point, how he came and just the starting verse six. And let me read it for us again. It's on the screen. It says this, this is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And so this little line, so kids, listen up. All right. This little line, the water and the blood right? The water and the blood. Jamie, you're already writing now down the color and water and blood, which is so good on your paper. I've already seen that. But this is kind of one of those confusing lines that we see in the scripture. And sometimes we get confused by these little things and we ought not to. We ought not to. See, John again is hyperlinking back to chapter one, verses one through three. He's just saying in a different way, this is the Jesus that we have touched, that we've heard, that we now proclaim to you that we've seen, that we walked with. This is the Jesus. This is the Jesus. He came by water and the blood. See, the confusion for many and maybe some of us here comes because John, in this small little sentence, like I've already said, has packed in so much doctrine into this little statement. See, he's making a statement that Jesus was fully God in the flesh. This is what he's saying, that God himself came as flesh. Remember, he was writing this in response to some false docetism that later turned into Gnosticism and developed into that, proclaiming that matter was evil so Jesus being God could not be flesh, that Jesus, his God, would not have died, that Jesus in spirit was separate from Jesus in the flesh. It was a false doctrine that John is teaching against, and this is what this book is helping us see See, John in this text is not only proclaiming that Jesus is fully man and fully God, but he is talking or taking his readers back to Jesus' baptism. He's taking his readers back to Jesus' crucifixion. And if Jewish readers were reading this, they're taken back to the temple where the cleansing water and the, the blood sacrifice of the animals, the atoning sacrifices of these, this blood that was shed and sprinkled and cleansed the altar and cleansed the temple... And then the reader to engage the eyewitnesses in their testimony prove that he did come. This is what he's packing into this little phrase. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. See, to start with Jesus came as man, let me introduce to you a, a, a theologian by the name of Wayne Grudem. Just a, just, he's got a big thick book like this, but he unpacks this really simply and, and I just want to give you those seven points that he gives in that chapter and just unpack them a little bit, each one. But why Jesus came in the flesh, number one, he came to represent obedience. He came to represent obedience. Remember, going back into the story, going all the way back to Genesis 1, 2, and 3, we see Adam and Eve. And Adam was representation of the disobedience of God, where Jesus became the new Adam. Jesus was the better Adam. Jesus represents the obedience of God. And this is what this, this story is all about. God came to be man because no man could fulfill the law that God has proclaimed and given to us. So he came to represent. This is what, why Jesus came, to represent obedience. Secondly, Jesus came to be a substitute sacrifice for us. See, Jesus had to be man in the flesh to be our substitute. It wouldn't have worked if he just remained God. He had to become flesh. He had to become water and blood. For us. Hebrews 2, 16 and 17 says, For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make important line here, to make propitiation, for to make atonement for the sins of the people. This is why Jesus came to be the perfect substitute. He came to be the perfect sacrificial lamb for us. Thirdly, Jesus came to be the mediator between God and man. Because of our sin, we are alienated from God. There's a separation. You've heard me say this multiple times. Because of our sin, there's an instant separation between a holy God and us. And there's nothing that can break that. There's eternal separation, and only by God's grace that he sends Jesus to bring that mediation between us and God. In 1 Timothy 2.5, it says this, For there is one God and there is one mediator, Jesus Christ, between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. He's the only mediator. And what do mediators do? They mediate between the two broken parties. And we have brokenness between us and God. And only Jesus is the mediator. This is the perfect verse to take your Roman Catholic friends to. There is no need for a pope. There is no need for praying to Mary or the saints. There is Jesus and Jesus alone. He's the only, only mediator that comes between us and God. Number four, Jesus came to fulfill God's plan to rule with him. In Genesis, Adam has dominion. If you go back to Genesis chapter 1, right at the beginning of the story, first chapter of the Bible is God gives Adam and Eve dominion over all the land and animals and to be fruitful and multiply. But because of his sin and the separation that took place, because of his sin of his heart and and his flesh... There's a, there's a break in that relationship and also a break in the, the plan that was set out for man to fulfill. And Jesus is the perfect fulfiller of God's plan, original plan. See, Jesus has now come and promised this renewal to all who believe upon his name. We will now judge the angels. We will now rule alongside Christ. And we will, this is an amazing verse, we will be invited to sit on the throne of Jesus. Check it out on the screen, Revelation three twenty one. It says, the one who conquers... Like the one who conquers, the one who stands firm, the one who conquers the world, the, the evil desires of the heart, the, the evil desires of the eyes, the evil desires of the pride of life, which we saw in chapter 2 of this book. If you conquer these things, all conquered by Jesus, and you live in him, abide in him, you, you also are a conqueror. So the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me, Jesus on my throne, as I also conquered, fulfilled the perfect plan that God had for him and sat down with my father on his throne. Jesus came to fulfill God's plan to rule with him. Number five, Jesus came to be an example and pattern for our life. And we see this earlier in in 1 John. If you turn to chapter 2, verses 6, it says this. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Or in chapter 3, verses 2 through 3, it says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. We are purifying ourselves and that is part of our responsibility to set aside the unrighteousness for the sake of righteousness. Like Paul says in Romans, I believe it's in chapter 6 that he says, like I'm no longer a slave to unrighteousness but I want to be a slave to righteousness. I want to put off this old nature because I know it's sin and death and destruction. We're seeing this around the world everywhere. Like the nature of this world is to kill you. So So it's becoming more and more obvious that there's there's good and bad in this world, and and the good is Jesus. It's the only answer that we have. See, we cast off unrighteousness for the righteousness of Jesus. This is the agenda of change Jesus has for us in the book of Second Corinthians, chapter two, or or, yeah, Second Corinthians three, eighteen. Where it talks about moving from one degree of holiness to the next. This is the road of sanctification to become more like Jesus each and every day. It's a beautiful text of scripture. Or Paul's words in Romans chapter 8, verse 29, that we might be conformed to the image of his son. This is why Jesus came, that we might be transformed into his likeness, to be a pattern of love and mercy and grace to one another. Like, do we have that for one another? Like when we come through this door in the, on a Sunday morning and, or walk into your homes in, in a community group and, and get to know one another, are we a pattern of love and grace and mercy for one another? But also a pattern of, you know, like walking through tribulation like, like we pray for those brothers and sisters in Cuba. And, and tribulation and persecution and trial and suffering, are we walking in this knowing that Jesus is our Redeemer, Jesus is our Savior? Just as Jesus walked through trial and persecution and so on and so forth, for our sake, that we might stand firm to the end. This is the goal, isn't it? Do we want to stand like this? Do we want to be courageous like this in this world by setting aside the things that are just there to kill you? And man, it's deceptive, isn't it? The things of this world. They look so good. But yet, what do you you get after you've dove into a YouTube train of an hour and you feel just empty again? Or just knowledge, 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 knowledge. Where does it get you? Have you surrendered? Have you believed upon Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? That's what gives you life. He came to give us life. He paid it all. We get to live like him now, not abusing the grace we have been given, but urgently seeking and asking him. Like in every single part of our day, seeking him first before anything else. Number six, Jesus came that we might be redeemed in our bodies. As Jesus was raised in a a new redeemed body, we too will be resurrected and changed as he was. He came that we might have life and life to the full. This is why he came. And number seven, Jesus came to sympathize as our high priest. Jesus came that he might be a help to us. And any one of us can be a help to another. Like I, I teach a lot of marriage prep classes and I've, I've done this for years, like 11, 12 years of marriage prep class and I'm looking forward to having that, you know. And it's just a reminder to sign up for those classes when we have them posted. But man, that's that's just an inside thing there. But but those things those things are incredibly important to learn and glean from. And Jesus here is our high priest and we can glean from those individuals that have gone before us. That's why Titus chapter 2 says like the older ladies teach the younger ladies and the older men teach the older younger men. Why? Because they've gone through some life experience. And Jesus perfectly has gone through this life. Again, realize why he came? To be sympathetic to who you and I are. This is one of the reasons why he came to be flesh. In Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16, it says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, Hear that. The throne of grace. The throne of sympathy. He's He's going to give you sympathy and grace. The thing, very thing that we don't deserve. That we may receive mercy and find grace to help in times of need. We can go to the one that actually lived this life and find grace and sympathy. This is not in my notes, but... Uh, Some of you, many of you know, actually, my oldest daughter is actually traveling in Europe right now. And, man, I I just thought about this, but a perfect example of, man, I sympathize and I understand what you're going through, kind of an example. So we're all standing as a family, kind of saying goodbye and giving her our last hugs and having a conversation before she goes through the the security. And this other family from the UK, a mom and and a son, comes walking up to us just randomly and goes, hey, is this your daughter? Not pointing at Hallie, pointing our daughter L with Down syndrome, and says we ha- we have a daughter with Down syndrome as well, and instantly there's a sympathy and an understanding and a grace between us, and it's like I look at her now, this woman I just met, and I instantly understand what she's gone through. Not every little detail, in a different way, obviously, but there's a connection. This is what this verse is talking about. Jesus intimately knows the things that you go through, the trials, the persecution, the the times of love and mercy and grace. He understands that because he too has walked this earth. So one explanation of the water and the blood is Jesus becoming fully man while also being fully God. He has done this for these seven reasons that we just covered. Others believe the water and the blood to represent the water of cleansing and the blood of sacrifice in the temple of God. And they're not wrong. Like there's multiple things here that John is packing in here. See, the water was a cleansing agent. The blood was a sacrifice, an offering of atonement for sin. In Hebrews 9 verse 22, it says, Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood and without the shedding of blood. There is no forgiveness of sins. This is why Jesus needed to come for an eternal sacrifice for us. Because there's no redeeming without the shedding of blood. And only he could die for our sin. See, this statement by John again symbolizes and was a type pointing to Jesus' ministry his baptism in water beginning in his ministry, his blood shed at his crucifixion for the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And like I said earlier, the Jewish reader would read this from John and connect all the way back to the temple, the cleansing water and the cleansing blood over the different uh, ministries of sacrifice. That Jesus is the redeeming sacrifice. And man, I've been praying long for you guys all this week that our hearts would just hold on to this deeply, that Jesus is our cleansing water, that Jesus is the sacrificial blood that redeems us to God the Father. Jesus is our eternal hope. But Jesus never wants us to miss what is most important. You see, the water is also a cleansing, and Jesus, through Paul, proclaims the water to be a cleansing and his words, uh, the very word of God. See in Ephesians chapter five, verse 25 and 27, it says this: "Husbands, love your wives, as Christ have loved the church, and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. The very word of God is the water, the cleansing. See, church, Jesus is the cleansing water, the atoning blood. He is all we need and should be all we want. This is the one that we long for. This is the one that we can't wait until he returns. This is the one that we want to surrender our life to. This is the one that we'll be willing to go out into the community and share about with our neighbors and our friends and our family. So what thoughts, beliefs, desires, and this is where we need to get real with one another, what thoughts, beliefs, desires that are in your heart this week that you need to lay down has this water this cleansing water washed over you this week, or is it something that you just say and talk about or maybe don 't say or talk about? Is it something that cleanses you like i 'm in the book of Mark right now my my reading through the Bible, and I try and read through it every year once and and sometimes i 'll listen through it a couple times and and if I miss a day I can feel it. Like it's so rich. It's so good, but it's also so challenging. Are you washed with the cleansing word of God? Are you covered with the atoning sacrifice, the atoning blood of Jesus Christ that he shed for us 2000 years ago? Have you believed upon Jesus for salvation? Like truly, have you believed upon him? The second point in my own line is his testimony. Look at verses 6 through 11. The second half of 6, it says this, And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood. And these three agree. If we receive the testimony of man, the testimony of God is greater, for this is the testimony of God that has been born concerning his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. And this is the testimony that God gave us, eternal life. And this life is in his Son. And John loves repeating himself over and over again. Right, This is the testimony. Last week, B.J. came and preached on three markers of, a, of our assurance, believe in Jesus, love the church, and overcome the world. And John is continuing that here by pointing to further markers of your assured faith. The word of God, the water, the atoning blood of Jesus, and the spirit of truth. These three agree. And the greatest testimony above all, and they agree on every single point. And on the flip side, you have the testimony of man. Right? If you think about that, as I was studying this text, I'm like thinking about the testimony of man comparatively to the testimony of God. And in the text it's like it's far greater the testimony of God. Like and I was practicing with this with some of you, you didn't know this, but as you're walking in, I was asking, How was your week? And sometimes you get the response, well, well, let me think about that. I can't remember what my what I did on Friday or Saturday. And I'm kind of the same way. Like, what, what did you do on Saturday? I have to think about that. Give me a couple moments, and you have to think back. And, and that's where the testimony of man is faulty. Our memory is faulty. And so it got me starting to think about, to read some articles. Like, what, what is our memory? How, how, how can we actually trust in man's testimony? And I came across this article, and it says this. The reliability of memory is often assumed... People generally accept that they will be able to recount events they have experienced accurately. So much so that historically many people have been convinced or convicted of crimes primarily on eyewitness testimony. And we can probably think of some of those things that, that people went to jail for like years uh, when, when there was a false testimony. Jesus was one of those. While the reliability of memory, or lack thereof, may not derail day-to-day life, it may have a significant impact on the lives of individuals and society as a whole. See, inaccurate recollections of performance may affect which schools or jobs one applies to. A well-meaning witness may contribute to the incarceration of an innocent, and a psychiatrist may actually mistakenly plant memories of a phantom trauma Much of the research regarding memory reliability suggests that memory is highly malleable, thus we should not rely on information from memory in situations where detailed accuracy is actually needed. Another author said it this way, it's unlikely that your treasured memory is 100% accurate. Remembering is an act of storytelling, after all, and our memories are only ever as reliable as the most recent story we told ourselves. And we tell stories about things all the time. See, our memory is faulty. Thank God that we have his word, that it hasn't changed for thousands of years, that we can go back to the original text and it's there with us still to this day, that he doesn't change or shift like our memories or our thoughts, but that he is truth. The spirit is truth. It says it right there in our text, and he resides in us. But also, we see this in the other book of John, in the Gospel of John, in chapter fifteen, twenty-six. It says, But when the Helper comes, the Spirit of truth comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, about Jesus. This is the, whole, the role of, Je- of the Holy Spirit when he resides in you, when you believe upon Jesus and for, his self, and for salvation through him that you believe Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior of your life, that he came 2,000 years ago to die for your sin, to pay the penalty that you deserve, and he took it upon himself, you will be filled as a gift, as a seal by the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of truth, and the Holy Spirit's job is to point back to Jesus and what he taught here. That's his job. Acts 5.32 says, and we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who, Who obey him. Again, you who believe upon Christ have received the Holy Spirit and you obey the Father. This is the role that we are given now. And it flows out of us, like BJ was talking about last week, if you go back and listen to that sermon. In John 16, 13, John continues and he says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. This is the role of the Holy Spirit. So what is his testimony that has been placed on our hearts that gives us assurance? We'll look back at verse 11, really important. Verse 11 gives us the answer. And this is the testimony. This is the testimony that God gave us eternal life and this life is in his son. So if you want eternal life, which this world is striving to lengthen our days here, I had someone phone me the other day on Audible because I had to fix my account and they're like, you know, you should check out this book. It's about longer life. And I'm going, I know a book actually that has a a great book and tells me how to live an eternal life. And they're like, oh, really? And I was like, yeah, it's called the Bible. And they quickly hung up. But this is the testimony that God has given us, eternal life, and this life is in his son. The testimony is that Jesus is life, to repeat again as John has repeated. Jesus is the cleansing water. Jesus is the word of God. Jesus is the only way to eternal life. He is the truth. He is the life. Jesus is perfect for our sake and for his glory. And this is your assurance in verse 10. If you go back one verse, the assurance of this is whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. What an amazing gift this is. And your belief will produce now obedience. Like when, you, when you're like, like when I go without a day of reading the scripture, I, I feel lost in my, in my soul, in my spirit, and I want to run back to it. And I go and read some more, and I, I feel filled up because it, it will move into obedience and, and a love and a joy and a peace and a patience and a kindness and a goodness and a faithfulness and a self control. Like this is the fruit of the spirit that will just start flowing out of you. And this testimony will be about proclamation. This is my Jesus. I can't help but say and talk to people about him. This is the one I believe upon for salvation. His word is the water of cleansing. His blood is the redeeming blood. And I want to do nothing but proclaim Jesus. Are you with me, church? Nothing but to proclaim Jesus. It's only him that we live. It's only him that we have eternal life. This is who I want to talk about. Thirdly, life in him. We'll close with this last point. Verses 11 and 12, it says, God gave us eternal life and this life is in his son. Whoever has the son of his life and whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. See, I know you battle along with me, but we battle every week, don't we? Thinking we have life thinking you know this this thing will give me life this thing this car will give me more uh like sustenance or more affirmation or whatever it might be or or doing work in the yard or fixing the house or doing these things or doing better and moving up the ladder in my employment or whatever it might be this will give me life if i just had this thing then i'll feel more satisfied And Jesus, over and over through his word, is trying to pour over us his church, going, Trust in me. Believe upon me. For I am life. This is where you will find it in me. Trust in me. Surrender to me. Give your life over to me. In John, in the Gospel of John, over and over we see this, and I'll just give you a, a handful of verses real quickly, but John chapter one, verse four, it says this in him was life, in Jesus was life, and the life was the light of men. In John three fifteen, that whoever believes in Jesus may have eternal life. John three thirty six, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. In John 5:24 it says truly truly the biggest thing, the, the thing that you need to understand, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him, Jesus, who sent me, has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. John six, verse forty, it says, For this is the will of my Father that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Jesus should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. John six forty-seven, truly, truly, again. The most important thing you need to hear, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. John, that's just the first six verses, and there's many, many more throughout the Scripture. The Word of God is repeating itself over and over, believe upon Jesus. In Acts chapter 16, verse 31, it says, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And then in our text here in verse 1 and also in verse 13, kind of bookending last week and this week, it says this in chapter 1 or 5 verse 1, it says, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is actually born of God and whoever loves the Father loves the child born of him. In 1 John five thirteen, it says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. This is why I'm writing this that those who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Have you believed upon Jesus? Have you believed upon him for your salvation? Are you trusting in the things of this world that we know they're just faulty? Or are we trusting on the eternal God of heaven, the creator of the universe, the one who has come perfectly, as man to pay the sin penalty that we deserve to pay. And he paid it on the cross, shedding his blood, cleansing and redeeming us, paying for all the sin penalty that we deserve. This is the cleansing water, the cleansing blood, and the spirit of truth that now resides in us who believe. Friends, is this us? Are we cleansed by the word of God? Like think back this week. Are you cleansing yourself by the word? Are you hearing it, studying it, memorizing, meditating on it? Because man, it is so powerful. It's the living word of God. It's the drink that gives us sustenance. It's the bread of life. Move your calendar to make this a priority. I implore you as a church that we might make this a priority in our weeks. Do you believe you are redeemed? Do you believe that you have the spirit of truth in you? Do you believe that Jesus is the only way, the truth, and the life? No one gets to the Father but through the mediator, Jesus Christ. It is him that we need to put our trust in. Let's believe upon Jesus, and then let's live that out. Let's now go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Knowing that He will be with us as we go. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you so much that you came, that you lived a perfect life for us. And there's a great purpose of why you came. To sympathize with us, but also to pay the sin penalty that we cannot pay. I thank you, Jesus, for your redeeming blood the atonement for our sin, that we might have life fully in you. And Lord, I just pray for all of us here as the church representing you, that we will give our lives fully for your namesake, all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our strength, all of our soul, that we will lay it down for you, knowing that your promise will be coming that you will give those who believe upon you eternal life. So I pray that we abide now in your commands, knowing that they're good and sweet and, and good for us to be fruitful here in this land, waiting for your return. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.